Well, we're in the second sermon in our Christmas series of, of a simple Christmas and, and asking the question of, of, of who is Jesus? And as I told you before, you know, the, a simple Christmas that, that was inspired, as you can see by the tree there, was inspired by the Charlie Brown Christmas. And, and uh, when one of the scenes is when Charlie Brown goes and picks a Christmas tree out, and the tree he picks is kind of looks like that. In fact, that one in some ways looks way better than the tree he picked out. And, and it's because Charlie Brown is trying to understand in what Christmas is all about. He's, as we talked about last week, you know, he's, he, feels, he feels empty. He sees all the things that go on, the, the Christmas gifts, the decorations, the parties, the cheer, but he realizes something's missing. But the problem is, is that everyone else thinks Charlie Brown has the problem. In fact, he kind of does have a problem, but the people with the bigger problems are the ones who don't even realize that there is a problem. Here's what Charlie Brown says at the kind of beginning. He says, I think there must be something wrong with me. He's talking to Linus. I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. You know, um, Charlie Brown's actually trying to think about things. He's actually looking at all of this stuff and, and he notices that there's something wrong with it. There's something wrong if... We have all these lights and we have all this tinsel and we have all of these things that we, that we have to do to make us feel something. And, and if we need all of that to make us feel something, what does that say about us? What does it say about us as, as, as people, as, as, you know, as a culture? What does it even say about us as Christians if we have to do these kind of things to generate this feeling. Charlie Brown he knows he has a problem, which means he's kind of ahead of the game. And the rest of them don't really seem to know that. You know, what are we doing sometimes at Christmas? Are, are all the trappings of Christmas just masking an emptiness that, that we just want to try to forget. We want to take a, take a break from, from real life and for a few weeks or maybe if we're lucky for even a month or two, we can forget. Are we simply just using Christmas the way some people use Sunday you know, some Christians use Sunday as, you know, Sundays when I kind of recharge so that I can, you know, face, you know, the week. And then life just becomes like just about just getting through. Just, you know, persevering, showing up. And I'm not going to lie to you, sometimes life is that way. But all of life shouldn't be that way. Are we simply kind of kind of fooling ourselves or even drugging ourselves with, with some kind of Christmas cheer just so that we can get through another year, have the energy to head into January and February and all that, that lies ahead. You know, Charlie Brown, you know, he's, he always has this kind of gloomy aspect to him, but he, in this case, he's, he's, he's right. And, and what we find is that we, it's almost like we want to ignore our problems. We want to forget what's going on. And it's a, it's a struggle. Because if your house is on fire and you, you know, you're kind of stressing out because it's on fire and you decide, you know what? 
the stress of my house being on fire, it's kind of getting to me. So I'm just going to I'm just going to relax for a second. As a matter of fact, I'm going to turn on the TV to my favorite show, and I'm going to watch it for like 10, 15 minutes, and then I'll get back to thinking about the fire. Probably not a good idea. Oh, you may have 10 minutes of, you know, if you can fool yourself and forgetting about the fire, you may have 10 minutes of things going on, but the fire is still burning. And what happens, unfortunately, in our world is, is our world in general and oftentimes, sadly, Christians forget that during all the happiness of Christmas, the world is still burning. The world still needs saving. And it needs saving in a way that only God can. It's the world we live in. And we, we want to forget it because everything seems okay. You know, I don't know whether you're happy or sad about, you know, the recent elections. But, you know, in Hawaii, it's like, meh. Got up on Wednesday. It's kind of the same. Got up Saturday. Kind of the same. You might not think like it really affected you, and maybe it didn't. But here's the thing. The problems that the world faces, the problems that our society faces, they've been there much longer than one presidency, and they're not going to go away. We need to be saved. But the the question is, even if we can think about that, even if we can keep in our mind that our world needs to be saved, the question is, from what? Because if we don't know what we need to be saved from, how do we know what we should be looking for as our salvation? Look at these pictures. Which one do you think is going to be the one that saves you? The life preserver or the anchor? Well, hopefully you're smart enough to realize it depends what the problem is. If your ship is, you know, caught in, you know, this in, an, in like a storm or something, and, and it's in danger of crashing into rocks, well, y- you might need an anchor. But if you've fallen overboard, you hope they don't throw you an anchor. Right? You hope they throw you a life preserver. If they don't like you, they'll probably throw you the anchor. But it, it depends on the problem. Different problems require different solutions. And I think, unfortunately, we say, even as Christians, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and we have only a vague idea of what that actually means, of what he's actually saving us from what is the problem that the world faces and so you know every four years what do we do as as americans we look to different people to save us you know different different leaders are going to save us and and again the issue is save you from what do you even know what the danger is do you know what the problems are? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us is that the world does need saving. And it needs saving in a way that only God can save it. So we're going we're gonna to take a look at that today. You know, last week we talked about, you know, who, who Jesus is, and we talked about him as being Son of God. We've talked about him being Lord of all. And you need to know that last week is, you know, last week's message is connected to this week's message. Because how big you understand Jesus is, how big you understand how Jesus is, gives you a hint 
to how big the problem is. If Jesus is just a man, even if he's just the greatest man ever, it's a different problem than if Jesus is the Son of God, Lord of all, creator of the universe, who becomes incarnate to save us. What kind of problem would need that kind of savior? So everything we talked about last week, it's, it's, it's all connected to what we're going to talk about this week. And if you have a small understanding of Jesus, or if you just have kind of a vague understanding, like you can throw around all the titles, but you don't really know what they mean, then it's going to affect what you think about the, the problems that the world faces and what we need to be saved from. By the way, just a second, I'm going to give you a commercial. On Monday night, tomorrow, in fact, at 7 o'clock, we're going to start a, a study, a study of, of our most important Christian beliefs and the biblical support for them. And so that starts tomorrow. Tomorrow's kind of an introduction overview. And we're going to be talking about some of these things. And I really want to encourage you to, to, to be a part. It's not about what I think. It's not about what I believe. It's what the Bible teaches us. And we'll go through, you know, different topics. Those of you who got my letter every week, you, you can see the topics there in the letter. But eventually, probably a month or two from now, we'll be talking about who is Jesus and spending much more time in depth looking at what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is. Well, the Bible passage that we're going to look at today is, you know, one of the most famous. Even though most people don't know what it means, when they used to have, I don't know if you guys know this, but when they used to have sporting events, there used to be people in the stadiums. Um, that was way back in 2019. And, and, one of the things is when somebody knew they were going to be on camera, either because maybe they were sitting behind the goalposts in a football game or, you know, sitting behind the backboard in a basketball game, they would hold up signs. And one sign you would often see is John 3.16, you know. And so that, you know, that, that's, that's the Bible verse we're going to look at today. But it's interesting how um, a lot of people read John 3.16, but they don't ever know the context. They don't know what it's a part of. They know it's part of John, the Gospel of John. But, you know, but what is the context? And the context is this another story that we know is pretty familiar. It's it's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is is believed to be a Pharisee. So he's someone who had been very educated um, he had devoted his life to following uh, the Jewish law. And he was considered by the rest of the people, you know, as just kind of like a, like a superhero. He was, he was awesome. And he's got a Charlie Brown kind of problem. He's doing all the right things. He's gone through all the, you know, the, 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 the learning process and everything that he's supposed to go to, but he still feels empty. He sees that Jesus is saying something and Jesus appears to be experiencing something that he's not experiencing. And by the way, the way John tells stories, Nicodemus is not the only one. John often tells stories where he just uses one person to represent others. So for all we know, Nicodemus is, um, you know, there in a group, or it's not the only time a Pharisee has come to, to ask Jesus questions. But we know for sure this, this, this Pharisee named Nicodemus, and, and it gives us this, um, this picture that he comes at night, Remember when we studied John, you know, that was a, you know, that was an image John used about coming from darkness to light. He comes at night. He comes from the darkness of, you know, the night and he comes into the room where Jesus is, where there's light. 
And he's asking this question. He's saying, you know, you know, you know, how can I be born again? In a kind of sophisticated way, he's he's really doing what Charlie Brown did in a very Charlie Brown way. He's he's wanting to know like something is not right, something is missing. I'm I I, I have God's word. I want to keep the covenant, but I, I I'm I feel empty. And so Jesus, you know, most of us know, you know, the interchange Jesus has with, with Nicodemus. And he, you know, explains to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is like a lot of us. He, every time Jesus says something, Nicodemus interprets it in like this world, very tangible world. And he, and he can't understand when Jesus says you have to be born again. He, he immediately thinks, oh, is this, I got to somehow get back in the womb? And Jesus explains to him what he means. So it's in this context that these words are written. John 3, 16, and we'll actually read 16 all the way to 21. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so we come to this text, and again, this very popular, familiar verse that, you know, if you grew up in the church, this was probably one of your first, you know, memory verses that, you know, you memorized at some point. And even if you can't say it perfectly, you, you, can, you can probably get pretty close. And the message is, is not that complicated. It's just saying the Son. The Son came to save all who believe in him. Jesus came to save all who believe in him. And he, he makes it clear, you know, this is the problem people have about when they think about Christianity and they think about what the Bible says and, and they think about like, like this, they think about God as a God who's like, who's like, you know, sending people to hell. And that's not the picture that we get. We get the picture more if I'm going to go back to my, my, you know, my images of a life preserver and an anchor, we get more the picture of the, everybody in the world is, is in the ocean and we're drowning. And Jesus provides a way to stop us from drowning, to stop us from perishing. That if God does not do anything through Jesus Christ, if he doesn't do anything, then then we will perish. And you might think, like, what, do you, what, do you, what does he mean by perish? Does he mean hell? Yeah, he does mean hell. But he also means other things. One of the things, if you've, like, been at studies that I've done and I've perhaps talked about it during sermons, is, is what God is doing his project is his kingdom and what is his kingdom his kingdom is 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 made up of people who are living according to you know what he says this is the best way to live if you want a a healthy society if you want a society that's 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 stable that's productive that that has joy that has peace then then live this way But if you don't live this way, you will perish. 
And what does that mean? Well, when we just think about the kingdom, it means that we will, we will perish. Our, our, our relationships, whether it be in our families, our communities, our societies, they will perish. And you might go, well, how come they haven't perished? Well, the idea here is not that they're all going to suddenly disappear, although eventually they all will. Eventually, all kings and kingdoms will fall. Even the United States. I hope that doesn't depress any of you, but it's going to happen. Okay? But he's also saying that you're perishing because you are not really being a healthy society. What holds our society together? What holds any society together? Well, if we're not being held together because we have a common commitment to Jesus Christ and a love for God and a love for one another that, that helps us you know, come together and work out our differences, if that's not the case, there's, there's really only one other way. And that is that someone or several someones become so powerful that they make us be together. That we are, you know, that we're, we're forced to be together. If you want to do an experiment on this, you know, we, we do talk about the United States being the land of the free, and I would say that we are probably, you know, freer than just about any other uh, nation that's ever existed. But just, you know, if you want to do an experiment, um, by the way, uh, I'm going to deny I ever said this, but, but try not to pay your taxes for a while. You know, just ignore the tax thing. Um, start driving down the street on the opposite side. Decide stop means go. You know, just arbitrarily just start doing those things. You know, you know come to the conclusion that we should all share goods together which means you can go into stores and take whatever you want and not pay for them. Now, are there people who think this? There sure are. But what happens if somebody does this, right? If you tried this, well, you are going to be forced to conform, and if you don't conform, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take you out of society. You might think that, oh, you know, but that's not perishing. But it is perishing. It's perishing because, because we're not living and relating to one another in the, the highest and best way that God created us. He designed us. He made us so that we could have these, these healthy, good relationships based on on love, and we settle for less. We can barely manage that in our families, much less extend into our communities. I can, I can predict what's going to happen over the next, you know, several weeks, not because I'm a prophet, but, you know, if, if the election results hold up and Biden's actually the president and all, and that continues, I can predict what's going to say. When he gave the speech yesterday, um, Oklahoma was playing football, so, uh, you know, I, was, I had to watch Oklahoma play football. But, but when he gave the speech, I could have told you beforehand what he was going to say. Not because I'm brilliant, not because I'm a prophet, but because we hear the same thing every single time, no matter whether it's Republican or Democrat. We hear the same thing about how I'm going to reach across the aisle and we're going to work together and we're going to bring back this fractured nation and we're going to unite everybody and bring healing. If you're young, okay, and by that I mean under the age of 25, it's okay if this is the first time you've ever paid attention and that's the first time you've heard it. If you're older, you need to realize it's the same thing. 
What president is going to become president and say, now that I've won, my job is to wipe out all those Republicans. Destroy them. Kill, kill, kill. Right? I mean, it might be an entertaining movie, you know, and vice versa. The Republicans won. You know, it's always the same thing about harmony and all of that. But does that ever happen? No, never happens. Because there's, there's fundamental differences. And, and then what you're going to hear, you're going to hear from, you know, you're going to hear from the president, whoever it is. You're going to hear, I tried. I tried to reach across the aisle. And then you're going to hear from the other party, yeah, he said he tried, but his trying was forcing us to do whatever he wanted to do. And again, I've, I, I'm not brilliant, I'm not a prophet. I've just paid attention. It's what happens. And is, is that a healthy society? Is that a kingdom that's marked by God's unconditional sacrificial love? So what's eventually going to happen? Well, there's this, this human belief, this kind of humanistic belief, that we all have our differences now, but we're going to keep working through this, and eventually we're all going to kind of evolve as human beings into all agreeing. Let me tell you, that's harder to believe than just about any story that I've ever, I've ever heard. And the reason it's hard to believe is because I know the reality today and I know the reality that's existed since human beings have gotten together and hung out. I, t I tell you that when I run, sometimes I listen to books and I've been you know, listening to books, History of the Ancient World, and I just finished yesterday the history of the, of the you know, Middle Ages. And let me tell you something. What all of these centuries have in common is a lot of fighting, a lot of war. Oh, the names change, the, the, you know, the players change. But it's, it's the same objectives. It's about acquiring. It's about protecting yourself. Any overtures of peace is simply to take advantage of a situation. And then once that you're, the peace is no longer needed, change the terms. If we're left on our own, then we will either be dominated by a power, we'll be dominated by someone or s many someones, or we will completely fall apart. There is nothing that will hold us together. God came to save us. He sent Jesus to save us. But that salvation requires faith. It requires faith in Jesus Christ. It requires acknowledging, first of all, that we need to be saved and what we need to be saved from. You might be thinking, but I've always thought of this verse as just being about me. Well, it is kind of about you, but it's not just about you. I remember well-meaning um, teachers and pastors said, you know, what if you take out the word world and put your name in it? For God so loved Matt. It's not wrong, but it's not what the passage says. It is something about me. I'm there because I'm part of the world. But it's not simply about me. But it says we need to believe. We need to believe in that, first of all, that, that we need a Savior. We need to understand what we need to be saved from. 
And then we need to believe that Jesus Christ can actually save us. And make no mistake, this isn't about just save us and now, okay, now I know I'm going to be in heaven. That's not what John is talking about. He's talking about so much more. When Phil read the scriptures earlier, we get, a, we, we get a taste of this. That salvation is something we can experience right now. Because it tells us that Jesus came to save us from sin. He didn't just come to save us from the penalty of sin. He came to save us from the power of sin. In verse 17 from Romans um, 5, I'm sorry, it's Romans 6. It says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. What will eventually cause us to perish, both as an individual and as a human race, is that we are slaves to sin. We are slaves to to doing what our instinct tells us to do, which is to think of ourselves, and if we extend beyond ourselves, we think of our kind, however we defined our kind. And if we do that, we can never have true unity. We can never have true love. Because the only reason I want you to be my friend is because I believe that we're stronger together. But what happens if I meet a stronger friend? What happens if I become so strong I don't think I need you anymore? And what happens if you feel the same way? We're slaves to to doing the things that, that come natural to us. But it's interesting what he says. You know, he says, you become obedient from the heart. Something we're going to talk about more next week. But it talks about how salvation from Jesus Christ is not just, okay, uh, Jesus, I accept what you did and I want to follow. It also says something happens to us. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, something happens to us. We are changed. Our hearts are changed. We no longer live simply for ourselves and for our kind. We no longer just simply love ourselves and our kind. We love everyone. And he particularly points out our strangers. We love strangers and we love enemies. What a lot of you guys are doing, and so great to see you do these things, the the Samaritan's Purse. Why is it called the Samaritan's Purse? Because the Samaritan helped helped a person who was in need that he didn't even know who he was. He was a stranger who was in need. In fact, if that person who had been helped hadn't been in need and hadn't been beaten up, he might not have even liked the Samaritan. He might have been upset at the Samaritan because the Samaritan was unclean. And Samaritan helps him anyways. When you help with the Samaritan's purse, you don't know where your gifts are going. You just know they're going somewhere. You don't know if some of these children left on their own, growing up in their nations, in their culture, might grow up to hate you. You don't know that. But you help them anyways. You love them anyways. How do we overcome that? Now, I hope I didn't ruin that for some of you. I hope some of you won't, oh, now I don't want to help. No, I hope, I hope you realize that that's actually a wonderful thing. But what makes us do that? What makes us take perfectly good money that we could use on perfectly good other things and give it to strangers who could someday be our enemies? What makes us do that? And we do it 
willingly and with great love. He says, we're obedient from the heart. We've been set free from sin. As long as we're slaves to sin, as long as we're slaves to ourselves, as long as we're slaves to just serving and taking care of ourselves and our kind, then we are always on that path of destruction. We, we can never have true fellowship with God. We can never have true unity with God because the only reason then that you would want to follow God is because what you can get out of him. He's the biggest, you know, toughest God around. But if there were a bigger, tougher one, you'd follow that one. But when we're freed from ourselves, if we're freed from the, our obsession with death, if we're freed from that natural desire of just simply self-preservation, we can love God. And we can love him unconditionally. See, he says eternal life. Eternal life. We're, slave, we're, we're freed from being slaves to sin. But as it says in, back in John 3.16, have you eternal life. Look at what, um, again, what Phil read. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin and death is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That, that says it so well. Because it tells us two things about eternal life. When we think about eternal life, we just think about, like, quantity. We think about duration. Oh, it's forever. Even though we can't really wrap our heads around forever, we just know it's forever. We know it's much longer than anything we can think of. But both in the Gospel of John and also in Paul's writings, eternal life is not simply a forever thing. It's life with Christ. It's life with Christ in us. It's something that you should be able to experience right here and right now. That's what it means when it says you're no longer slaves to sin. And the reason you're no longer slaves to sin is because Christ is in you. Christ is now Lord. And you no longer just live for yourself. And you no longer just live for your kind. Everything changes. And he's, it, it, without that happening, we're, we're going to perish. You see, if we go back to John 3, we, we see also that it says here that, that the people, they, they hate the light. They love the darkness. You know, we talked about it last week, and I, like I said, I've been talking about it in my Bible study on Sunday mornings, about how wisdom and folly, they, they, they're both loud. And folly's objective is to deceive you and to make it look like, to make foolishness look like wisdom. So, you know, we, we talked about that last week. And this week, we look here and we go, people love the darkness? I thought darkness was where, like, you know, all those things come out and, you know, grab you and scare you and, ooh, it's dangerous, right? No, what the Bible tells us again and again, even though it calls it darkness, is that darkness is attractive. Darkness is seductive. Darkness is addictive. Given our natural inclinations, we like darkness because darkness allows us to hide who we really are. Who we really are, we can hide it. We can pretend to care about other people because we give to charity. 
We can pretend to care about other people because we volunteer at a homeless shelter. We can pretend all of that. We can put all the actions, but really deep down, we're doing it for reasons other than simply to help. Oh, our reasons might be so that God thinks more favorably of us. Our reasons might be because, you know, somehow I think what goes around comes around. I'm, you know, investing in karma. I may have so many reasons, but I don't do it simply because it's who I am in Christ and I can hide those things. We always, we always think like, oh, hiding the wicked things, hiding those things. Like, we always think like, oh, those are those people that skulk around because they're going to, you know, mug you or kill you and they want to do it in the dark. Yeah, that's true. But this is also talking about the way we want to, we like darkness because it allows us to hide our motives. Plus, if I'm hanging around darkness, then who am I comparing myself to? Other people in darkness. But when light comes, and the light comes from Jesus Christ, what am I able to see? Now who am I comparing myself to? Not to other people who are hiding in the dark like me. Comparing myself to the Son of God to the light of the world, to pure love. It's weird. Now we, it says we love darkness, and this is where we see that Jesus came not just to save us from sin, he came to save us from ourselves. And we, for some reason, we just, Keep fighting. See, darkness becomes like the worst master of all because there's this this control over us and it's leading to our destruction. It's leading for us to be less than what God wants. But there's something about us that loves it. So Jesus came to save those who believe. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from ourselves. And he also came to save us from evil. You know, he says there that, yeah, we, we love this darkness. But he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light. We come to the light. We leave the darkness. We stop being controlled by sin. We stop, you know, wanting to be able to do what's, you know, the evil things in the dark so no one can see. See, the problem we have with evil sometimes is, is we think evil is like, is like a, a scale. That, that like evil is like really, really bad stuff. And so when we think of evil, we usually have like a name, like everybody in a, 20, 21st century always says Hitler. That's evil. And everything else is not evil. That's not really how the Bible presents evil. It's talking about evil of any degree. And evil is really that which, that, that comes from a heart of sin. And that's an important point. It's an important point to hold on to that, that sometimes evil can look like good behavior. Sometimes evil can look kind. Sometimes evil can look loving. Sometimes evil can look tolerant. What Jesus is, is doing, what he's talking about here, it's not simply the action, but it's the heart, the motivation. What is our nature? Who are we really? Jesus came to save us. He came to save each of us. He came to save all of us. But 
that only happens for those who believe, for those who recognize they need saving and what they need saving from is from sin. They need saving from themselves. They need saving from the darkness. It's for those who recognize that only Jesus can save us. And the reason he can save us is because he can take care, which he did on the cross, he can take care of the consequences of our sin, the penalty for our sin, which he did on the cross. But that's not all. Because that doesn't completely save us. That only cleans everything up. It doesn't save us. To save us, we have to be made new. We have to be changed. And he has to be there with us every step of the way. Jesus saves us in a way that only God can. And Jesus saves us in a way that we need. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to think, to think more and, and contemplate what it means for you to be our Savior. God, perhaps people here have limited what they want you to save them from. Maybe they only want to, you to save them from hell. And God, they don't really want you to save them from themselves. God, help us today to understand that if we, if we call upon you as Savior, it's, it's all of you or, or none of you. God, help us to understand more of, of our condition without you. And for those, God, who, who know this salvation, I pray that this would be just a moment of, of gratefulness just poured out in, in their hearts even now and as we sing. And for God, for those who just kind of know it, but for whatever reason have limited it, that this would be a time of just just opening their eyes and helping them to see how much more you have for them if they will truly accept you in every way that you want to be their Savior. And God, for those who have never walked with you, who've never called upon the name of the Lord, God, I pray now that they would do exactly that that they would recognize that they need to be saved from their sins. They need to be saved from themselves. And God, that, that you have provided that way through Jesus Christ. We ask that you help us and teach us wherever we are. It's in your name I pray. Amen. As we sing this last song, again, this is our time of reflection, and this is a, it's a Christmas song, but it's not a Christmas song either. It's an invitation to God. It's an invitation to Jesus Christ, and I pray that as you hear or sing these words, you think about them, and that you would express this as a prayer to God.
you would come and and help us to know you and experience you God in in familiar ways but also in new ways that you would keep working on our lives keep teaching and leading and shining your light 